Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Estee Lalonde, and welcome to On the Line. Joining me today is the glorious Dr. Anjali Motto, skincare expert, dermatologist, author, TV personality. She basically does it all. Thank you for being here, Anjali. Thank you for having me. And that's a really generous intro. Well, how would you introduce yourself? Do you know, dermatology is always going to be the key thing that I do, but all those other things, you know what? I'll take them. They sound good. <laughs> so I want to kind of tell everybody how we met in the first place. Where did we meet? Do you remember? So it was about six months ago now. Yeah. Over the at a Marie Claire Fabled event. It was. And we were on a panel together. We were on a panel together and I was so excited to be on a panel with you because I personally always have so many skincare questions and the audience had so many questions for you. Are you used to that many type of questions? Do you know it's interesting because everyone is really interested in skincare and beauty. If you've got great skin you want to know how to make it better. If you don't have perfect skin you want to know what you can do to improve it. So I think it's something that's on all of our minds. Yeah definitely. So how did you get into this industry? So, gosh, I mean, I've had trouble with my own skin for many, many years. So I'm going on 39 now, and I develop really awful acne at the age of about 11. And my acne has come and gone over 25 years now. So I kind of had a vested personal interest because when I was a teenager, I was literally buying anything and everything a magazine would say to get hold of in the hope that my skin would get better. But actually what improved my skin was going to see a dermatologist and getting the medical treatment and the tablets that I needed. And I guess that's kind of where my journey started. So then I went to medical school in the UK, did my few years as a junior doctor, and then specialized in dermatology after that. So just having that visit inspired you that much to make it your career? Do you know, I think that combined with just the daily struggle with my own skin, um, There's nothing worse than feeling like you're really self-conscious and that you don't want to go out, you don't want to date, you don't want to hang out with people, you don't want to go out on that night out because your skin is looking bad. So it was interesting because as my skin got better, it changed the way that I felt about myself and my own confidence. But then when I became a doctor, it was just one of those things that I realized I understand how the skin patients feel. I kind of relate to it. So it seemed like the natural thing to go into. Yeah, I think what you said is really important because skin can really 
make or break somebody's confidence. And I'm sure you've seen it a lot more than me, but people crying about their skin, just feeling so low, even maybe getting depressed due to their skin. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that the medical community have been really bad at recognizing actually is that skin really affects your mental health. It causes problems with anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, low body image. And I think it's really important that we take note of that. Mm -hmm. And when you went to see your dermatologist, you said that you took tablets. Is that like... What is it, antibiotics or what? I so, guess. Yeah, so I mean, there's lots. I had acne, and for acne, there's lots of different medical treatments that can be used. So, you start off with prescription creams and prescription tablets, often like antibiotics or the contraceptive pill. Right. I tried all of those things, and my skin still wasn't getting any better. So, I was getting cystic acne. So, those deep red spots that never come to a head, mm-hmm. really painful tend to leave scarring and I was getting a lot of scarring as well so I was then put on a medication called Accutane or Roaccutane for my skin and that cleared my acne up for a period well I mean we were going to talk about this later but let's just talk about Roaccutane now because Mm. there are so many things going around about Roaccutane and I've never been in a position luckily that I've had to consider it for myself but I have a lot of close friends who are either on it or have been on it or are considering taking it yeah but there are a lot of risks with it so I know people listening will want to know all about Roaccutane yeah well one thing I would say is I think a lot of the negatives of Roaccutane have been really highly publicized in the press and the thing is it's actually a really safe and a really effective drug if used in experienced hands so the pros of the drug are it is still the most effective drug that we have for acne it reliably and predictably works so if you complete a course of it and a course is normally about four to six months you probably will have clear skin at the end of it there are downsides and you know the main downsides are the way the tablet works is it reduces the size of your oil producing glands if your oil glands are smaller you produce less oil if you're producing less oil your pores don't get blocked If your pores don't get blocked, bacteria can't act on those to create those deeper red spots that we see. But the downside is the tablet dries up all of your oil-producing glands, so you will get dry skin and dry lips. That's an absolute given. Yes, I've heard that you get really, really dry lips. That's right. (laughs) But you know what? With the right skin care and the right lip care, you can totally manage that. So that shouldn't be a reason to put you off. Right. The tablets can make you sensitive to the sun, so it's really important that you're wearing sunscreen whilst you're taking the medication. And you do need regular blood test monitoring whilst you take the drug. So one of the things is you can't get pregnant whilst you're taking the drug and for 28 days afterwards. And in the UK, certainly, we're legally obliged to check a pregnancy test, document that that pregnancy test is negative. Otherwise, the pharmacy will not issue the drugs. I see. And then what about the link to depression and mental health with Yeah. So this is really interesting. So if you look at all of the big clinical trials that have been done to look at the link, they have failed to find a direct link between Accutane and depression. But one of the issues that we've got is that acne itself is associated with high rates of anxiety and depression itself. So what's really hard to tease out is whether it's the spots themselves that are making people feel bad and affect their mood or whether it's the drug. Because of the publicity that it's received, we have to warn patients about this theoretical risk. But one thing I would say about having taken the drug myself and prescribed it an awful lot is that most people find that as their skin gets better, their mood gets better and not the other way around. Okay, well, that's a really interesting take on it. Um, We are going to get into more specific questions. We had so many questions for this episode. Thank you to everybody for emailing them in. But I want to talk to you about social media first. Um, 
so you obviously are a dermatologist you work in the clinic and I want to talk about how you're using social media as well yeah, so I think it's really interesting. Um, I got asked this question last night talking to medical students that are interested in going into dermatology. And they were saying, do you use social media to build your private practice? And actually, I don't tend to use it that way. Um, I kind of feel like there's an awful lot of bad advice about skincare on social media. We are living totally in this post-truth world where everybody's got an opinion and a platform, which is great. But the downside is that not everybody can read the science and the scientific papers and decipher them in the same way that somebody from a dermatology background could. So my purpose and my use of social media very much actually is to try and get good skin information out there. So it's very much an educational platform rather than a, hey, look at my work and look at my befores and afters and come and see me in clinic. If you want to come and see me, fine. If you don't, that's okay as well. But if you learn something from the platform, that's really what my end goal is. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. So do you think consumers in general are savvier than, say, 10 years ago even? Absolutely. And it's really interesting. So from the cosmetic dermatology point of view, that's something that we're seeing changing. So people are coming to us for treatments like Botox and fillers, for example, at a much, much younger age Mm -hmm. than we used to see about a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And part of that is related to social media use. So... Before, there was this idea that only people that could have, you know, I guess, afford expensive treatments would have these kind of treatments done. The second thing is there was this real mystery associated to, well, what does it mean to have Botox and filler? But I think with the advent of social media, you can literally go onto YouTube, you can go onto Instagram, you can see what these treatments actually involve. So the mystery is gone, and I think people are much more open and much more educated now as to what you can and can't do and the pros and cons of it. Absolutely. And what is the biggest concern people come to you when they do come see you? Real mix, actually. So I do a mixture of medical dermatology. So I would say things still like acne, eczema, psoriasis, skin cancer. But the other part of what I do is, I would say, cosmetic derm. So people will come to me for things like Botox, fillers, concerns about aging, concerns about pigmentation. So I do kind of the full gamut of everything, really, with a bit of skincare thrown in as well. Oh, I'm dying to come see you in there. You're more than welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we are just about to get into the questions, but I'm just curious, from a personal point of view, what What's the most exciting thing going on in the skincare world right now, you think? So I think with the rise of social and skin intellectuals and people actually doing their own research about what ingredients are good, what products should I be using? I think that people are looking for, I would say, evidence-based skincare. So rather than spending a lot of money on the new fad that comes out, I think people are doing their research now and they're really going for key ingredients. There's a real interest now in retinoids, alpha hydroxy acids, and how those can benefit your skin and I think that is just mainly because people are more educated in this day and age we had so many questions about skincare like I said so we are really just going to have to get into it are you ready absolutely I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today hey y'all Darius Rucker here you know a lot of people ask me what inspires your music 
And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Okay, so the first question is from Abby, and she says, I've struggled with acne for about five years, but in the last year or so, my skin has improved a lot, and I rarely get breakouts. However, I'm now struggling with blackheads, especially on my nose. I've tried various scrubs and masks, which have helped a little bit, but not really. So I'd love to know what you would do. And then she also says, I've been loving On The Line, so thank you for doing a second series. Thanks, girl. So blackheads, or the medical word for these is comedones, are a really common problem. And one of the problems with blackheads is even if you get rid of them, they tend to reform. So your skin cycle is every 28 days and your skin cells renew every 28 days. So whatever treatment you do to shift your blackheads, the blackheads will come back in about a month's time. So any treatment that you do or anything that I'm about to recommend needs to be a continuous process. So the first thing that can help is to use creams that contain vitamin A in them. So retinoid or retinol creams are what we call comedolytic. They break down blackheads or comedones. So it's worthwhile incorporating that into your routine at nighttime. So that is the very basic thing that I would start with from a skincare point of view. If blackheads are then still continuing despite you using these vitamin A-based creams, there are kind of medical things that you can do. You can have things called extractions where you go to an esthetician or a facialist and they will literally squeeze them out for you. Is that painful? It's really uncomfortable and it needs to be done by somebody that knows what they're doing. Otherwise, you can actually push the blackheads deeper and create deeper spots. Okay. So you've got to be very careful with that. And the other thing is if you do it, again, you have to repeat the treatments monthly because they're just going to refill and reform. Right. And then in a clinic, you can do things like chemical peels, where we apply a very sort of light chemical solution onto the skin. We take it off a couple of minutes later. The skin looks quite red, feels a little bit hot for about an hour. And then the next couple of days, the skin just exfoliates and sheds and the blackheads come out with it. So that's the kind of more extreme end if you really wanted to tackle them. So simplest thing I would say is get yourself on a vitamin A based cream. Be patient. It can take up to 12 weeks to work. Oh, my gosh. So it's not a quick fix. Your skin's got to go through a couple of cycles before you're going to see any benefit from it. Okay, so what about those, like, strips that people put on and rip off their faces? Yeah, so the issue with those and the issue with, like, really deep scrubs and masks and exfoliators that people tend to use is... You can cause damage to the skin with those. The tendency is to scrub too hard or rip too hard. And all of that actually can cause damage to your skin and lead to scarring further down the line. So I'd say as a one-off treatment, if you're desperate for a quick fix, it's probably okay. But from a longer term maintenance point of view, you're better off actually trying to incorporate skincare like vitamin A and you'll get more benefit from that. Okay, well, I just learned a lot about blackheads. So, Abby, I hope that answered your question. And next up, we have a question from Anne. She says, I was wondering, what is the one skincare item that you would consider splurging on? I'm just about to turn 25, and I've been getting hormonal acne recently due to birth control, I think. And also, I'm in graduate school for counseling, so money is a little bit tight, but I still want that flawless skin, you know? 
Yeah. So I think what we're looking for here is a multi-purpose ingredient. So what we want is something that's going to help the spots when you get them. But in addition to that, if you're getting any marking from any spots or any pigmentation, we'll shift that for you as well. And then if you're 25 onwards, you might want to start thinking about incorporating anti-aging things into your skincare routine as well. So from your mid-20s onwards, you lose 1% per year of your collagen. And collagen is that protein that gives your skin its support structure. And as we lose collagen, our skin wrinkles and ages. So the hero ingredient that will help from an acne point of view and from a pigmentation point of view and also from an anti-aging point of view is vitamin A yet again. So retinol. Retinol. Okay, so I, I keep would, hearing about this. Yeah. So retinol is what you need to be incorporating into your routine. You don't need to spend an absolute fortune on a retinol product. All I would say is look for a skincare product that has got at least 0.1% retinol in it. Use it at nighttime. Um, It can make your skin sensitive to the sun, so you shouldn't use it during the day. And thirdly, build up its use gradually. If you start dolloping a whole load of retinol onto your skin, it's going to cause redness and peeling and irritation. So start using it maybe once or twice a week and see how you go. And if you've got no issues, build up to every night. Okay, so retinol is a cream. Is it something that's in a moisturizer? So you can find it in creams, you can find it in serums. Um, Now, I'm not affiliated to any of the brands that I'm going to recommend, but a good starter retinol, for example, is French pharmacy brand La Roche-Posay. They do something called Redermic R, and that's about a 0.3% retinol. That's a good starter retinol, I would say, for most people, and it's a reasonable price point as well. Okay, that's a great tip. All right, moving on to a question from Veronica. She says, I have skin as dry as the Sahara Desert, and I want to get into exfoliating so badly. Everyone is always saying how great exfoliating is. My issue is that there are so many things to choose from in the exfoliating world. Any beginner tips and tricks would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, so exfoliation is actually a really important part of most people's skincare routine. And there are two main ways that you can exfoliate. So one is mechanical exfoliation. So that's using things like scrubs or mechanical brushes. The second way is to use chemical exfoliation, and that uses acids, things like alpha hydroxy acids, to basically remove the upper layer of dead skin cells. Now, which option you choose, mechanical versus chemical, really comes down to personal preference. The only comment I would make is that people that mechanically exfoliate do tend to scrub too hard and you can damage the underlying skin. So chemical exfoliation generally is my preferred option. So if you're looking for a good chemical exfoliator, you're looking for ingredients like glycolic acid, lactic acid, lactobionic acid, or maltobionic acid. So those are the sorts of ingredients in your skincare routine. So if you type them into Google, you'll find a whole lot of face washes, serums, toners that contain those kinds of products. But I would definitely start there. I really do think that exfoliating my skin chemically was the first step to getting better skin. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I really like those little discs from Colbert. Dr. Okay. Colbert. I absolutely love them. Again, not affiliated, but seriously love them. Yeah. And they can be a quick way because often what they'll do is they'll impregnate the acid into like a pad that you can just quickly wipe over your face. They're really handy. Yeah. And for people that get things like spots on their back or their chest from working out, you know, you're wearing a sports bra and then you're getting loads of spots. They're really useful after the gym to actually use to wipe down your chest and your back as well to reduce getting spots in those areas if you're prone to them. So what if you do have acne on your body or back knee? as it's called. Yeah. 
what do you do? Are there washes that you can use or? There absolutely are. So what I would suggest actually, if you're getting spots, particularly in relation to working out, and I see in my clinics, women that, you know, they go to the gym, they're really active, but that type sports bra creates temperature, heat, occlusion, and all of that is going to block your pores and create spots. And then we all have a tendency to not shower immediately after the gym and to kind of hang around and maybe go to coffee or a juice. And that's a bit of a nightmare. So the first thing is to make sure that you shower immediately after exercise. If you can't do that, then actually making sure that you're using one of these salicylic or alpha hydroxy acid base wipes to wipe your skin down can be really, really helpful. The third thing is you can get face washes that contain salicylic acid in them. You can use them as a body wash. You don't need a separate face and a body wash. And salicylic acid is really, really good at breaking down the oil in your skin that can create those spots. Okay, that is a really great tip. I'm sure a lot of people are excited to hear about that. Um, All right. So the next question is from Adrienne. And she says... I've struggled with acne and blackheads for a long time. Um, I've tried literally every single product out there and spent so much money. My question is, and this is a really good question, is it worth it to change my diet? Are sugar, dairy, and gluten to blame for acne? Before I make any big changes, I just want to know yeah. all about that. So is there a correlation? This is a really interesting question. and get asked this all the time. And one thing I would say is for the vast majority of people, acne is purely down to your own hormones and genetics. The skincare has got a small part to play in it, like your diet has got a small part to play in it. But they are much smaller pieces of the bigger puzzle, which is your own DNA and your own hormones and genetics. So if we look at the diet component, I see a lot of people that are cutting out a lot of foods, going completely sugar-free, dairy-free, gluten-free for their skin. And if you look at the scientific evidence, actually, there's very little data to suggest that if you cut all of those things out, your skin or your acne is going to get better. So I have loads of vegans, for example, that are my patients. Their diet, I would say, is is pretty healthy. It's pretty clean. But even then, they're getting spots. If it was just down to diet, you'd expect their skin to get better. Okay. For a small minority of people, dairy does have a part to play. But I suspect that if you are one of those people, you'll know about it. Every time you have dairy, you'll break out very quickly. But for the vast majority of people, cutting out dairy and cutting out sugar isn't going to make your skin any better. And I guess the best thing you can do is take an intolerance test, you know? One of the things with the intolerance test is this... They're not that accurate. Um, And I actually say that if you've got to the point where you've spent so much money on your skincare and things aren't getting any better, if your spots are affecting your self-esteem or if they're leaving scarring or if they're affecting more than one body site, so face and back or back and chest, face, back and chest, that is actually probably a sign that you should probably go and see a doctor about it because you may need something prescription. Okay. All right. So we were talking earlier about AHAs and, you know, all of these things like retinol. And Sophia is asking, what products can you use together? Because she's heard that certain combinations can inactivate each other. So how do you have any idea what, you know, there's just so many things going on. Can you use anything on top of each other all the time. Yeah. And I think one of the things is because we have 50 different ingredients available to us doesn't mean that we need to be using all 50 of them. And I think there is this real temptation to want to use everything and overlay every acid and every retinol. And I don't think we need to do that. I think it's about being smart with your skincare choices and using as few products as possible to get as many benefits as possible. So I would say for most people, you can use something like 
an alpha hydroxy acid cleanser to wash your face. So like a face wash that contains glycolic acid or lactic acid, for example. And then after you've used that, it's a rinse off product. So it's only come into contact with your skin for a short period of time before you've rinsed it off. After that, if you want to use a retinol, it's absolutely safe to do so. Now, I have read on the internet people saying don't use AHAs and retinols together. To be honest, the only real reason that people get given that advice is because if you're not careful about these products and you use them together and they're both quite strong, they will cause irritation and they'll cause dryness and peeling. So as a safety measure, we tend to say to people, don't use them at the same time. But in actual fact, you could use an AHA cleanser and then a retinoid cream afterwards and you shouldn't run into any problems. Okay, well, that's interesting. I mean, I guess that's one misconception that you've found on the internet. Are there any other things that you've read on the internet that are like, that's just not true? Oh, there's loads of them. Drinking eight glasses of water is going to flush out toxins and improve your skin and hydrate your skin. That's an absolute myth. What do you mean? How? No, so it doesn't work that way, you know, because you're consuming and ingesting a a whole load of water it doesn't mean that it's suddenly going to migrate into your skin and hydrate your skin. You basically pee out all the bits of water that you don't need. So that idea that water is going to flush out toxins and improve your skin, it's a myth. Drinking water is good for your general health, don't get me wrong, but it's not going to hydrate your skin. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So how much water should I be drinking every day? So basically enough to not be dehydrated, (laughs) you know, and the best test of that is actually to look at your wee. Your wee should be like, a pale color it shouldn't be very bright orange or bright yellow bright orange who has bright orange pee if you drink a lot of supplements that contain b or c vitamins so barocca is a really good example of this it will make your wee orange well okay i have a lo- i have a lot of thoughts on that but let's just talk about the supplements mm. so should you be taking supplements like collagen supplements and stuff like that yeah so collagen supplements become really popular yeah. and again if you look at the scientific evidence I would honestly say don't waste your money on it. Really? Yeah. So collagen is a protein. And when you ingest collagen or you eat collagen, your gut just breaks it down into its constituent amino acids that make it up. There is very little data that those amino acids suddenly end up in your skin and then build new collagen. It just doesn't work that way. And a lot of manufacturers that make collagen say, yeah, I know, that's why we don't use full collagen. We use hydrolyzed collagen. And hydrolyzed collagen is small bits of collagen protein. And the argument that the companies will use is that by eating or drinking small amounts of broken collagen, you're fooling your skin into thinking that collagen is broken down your skin sees as a wound, kind of your skin goes into wound healing response and it produces new collagen because it sees broken bits of collagen. The problem with all the research that we have is it's always done by the companies that produce it. The tests are always done on small numbers of people. So really what I would say is if you're interested in looking after your skin and anti-aging, collagen supplements aren't one area that I'd waste your money. You know, spend your money on good quality skincare like sunscreens and retinols. I would really give the collagen supplements a miss. I don't take them. You are really like a no bullshit lady. Oh, well, I hope so. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I respect it. Do you get, you know, into a lot of heated arguments with people about skincare stuff? Um, I do. And one of the things is that the beauty industry is so persuasive in its marketing. And I think one of the things as, as women, particularly, we need to be aware of is, It isn't there for our benefit. It is there, first of all, to create insecurity within us 
oh my God, you know, our skin isn't perfect enough. It's not young enough. Therefore, we need to buy these products. The second thing is it is there to sell. It's there to make money. And that's why we're put into this position where we're made to feel slightly inadequate and then be sold the solution to it. So a lot of what we see actually is marketing and branding. And we need to be quite skeptical of the things that we're told. Oh, my God. Gosh. And so do you, is dermatology quite a, a male industry, do you find? or It's interesting. If you look at certainly UK dermatology, the old school dermatologists are very heavily male, academic professorial types. But I think things are changing. And I think now you would look at certainly most dermatology trainees in London, they are female and they are taking more of an interest, not just in the medical aspect. You know, it's not just about giving you a prescription, but the lifestyle, the beauty, the skincare aspect of it as well, which is really important. It is really important. I think one thing when I first started working in the beauty industry was realizing that these huge beauty companies are all run by dudes. Yeah. They're all old dudes yep. working in a boardroom telling us what we need. Yeah. And I think, like I said, generating that insecurity that we're, that we're not young enough and that we're not pretty enough and our skin isn't flawless enough. And, yeah. and we, unfortunately, you know, we buy into that. Mm-hmm. And, and we think, well, if we have this product, we can maybe look like that model on that TV or be that aspirational person. But we also need to keep in check that if skincare really was able to do the things that it was able to do or it says it could do, it would be a drug and not a cosmetic legally. And cosmetic skincare products, by definition, are not allowed to alter the structure and function of your skin. So if they're not altering the structure and function of your skin, how are they really having all the benefits that people are saying that they do? Oh my gosh, guys, you are not seeing the level of intensity in her <laughs> eyes right now. You are very passionate about this subject. It's quite something to see. I, do you know, I really am. It's because I, I kind of feel like we spend so much money and I was one of those people that spent so much money on products that I thought would fix my skin. And I see so many people that come to clinic that are literally like, I have spent thousands and their skin is still not any better. And partly it's not better because skincare alone can't sometimes do it well i mean that's very true and skincare is so expensive but is it expensive to see a dermatologist it depends how you look at it so average prices certainly in the uk to see a private dermatologist it starts from about 200 250 pounds okay what i tend to say to a lot of people though is that if you think how much you have spent on skincare in the past 12 months how does it compare to that Mm -hmm. because i think it's very easy to Go into a store and be bought into, oh, that new vitamin C product. Oh, it's only 50 pounds. And you're like, well, 50 pounds is actually quite a lot of money, you know. And before you know it, you've bought 10 different products and then you've gotten bored of them in a month and then you've bought another 10 different products. It's false economy. Um, And I think that there is some benefit actually in even if it's seeing a dermatologist once and being guided in the right direction of what ingredients do you need, there's some benefit in that. I suppose it's kind of the mentality of a personal trainer. You know, you go yeah. to see a personal trainer, yeah. I hoping to get some technique and some tips. Yeah. I don't think you're ever really thinking that you're going to have a personal trainer for life. That's right. <laughs> so I, I guess some people do, but... But no, I think it's exactly the same way to look at it. It might just be a guide in the right direction. Yeah. So you started talking about, you know, products and really expensive products and this and that. Are more expensive products more effective than something you can find on the high street? So generally the answer to that is no. Oh, um, really? Yeah. And one of the reasons for that actually is when cosmetic products are formulated, there are a number of labs that exist. And... A very high street company or brand and a very luxury brand 
are probably very likely to source their ingredients from the same lab. A lot of the extra money that you spend goes on the product marketing and branding. You know, it's a bit like buying underwear from Asda's by versus buying underwear that's from Calvin Klein, for example, you know, the extra money is going on that label effectively. Right. So, but would the quality of the ingredients be slightly better or? No. So this is the thing. So if you look or you get into the habit of looking at skincare ingredients, often what you'll find is that a very cheap product and a very expensive product contain exactly the same ingredients. Often the markup goes not just on the fact that it's a luxury brand, but it might be that if they've got an unusual ingredient, it costs more money to transport or import that ingredient to a lab. So there is a very expensive brand that I can think of that I'm not going to name, but you know, they use an unusual ingredient. The ingredient itself isn't that expensive, but what is expensive is to import it into the lab to make the product that you need. Mm -hmm. So you're then basically paying for the airport's fuel costs. You're not really paying for the product itself. That's not where the markup is. But what about those high street products that are just filled with so many chemicals and fragrances? So this is interesting. So you can also find basically rather cheap products that can be fragrance free. And the key here actually is natural isn't necessarily better than something that's chemical. And I talk about this a fair bit. I think if you choose natural skincare, that's, that's a personal preference. But one of the problems that we have with natural skincare, which normally comes from, you know, botanicals, so we're talking about fruits or flowers, is they're much more subject to quality variation than a chemical product. The European Union and the FDA very closely regulate the concentrations of chemicals that we can use in our skincare. You know exactly what you're getting in your skincare product. But if you're using a plant-based product, what you don't know is the health of the plant when it was harvested. You don't know if the right bit of the plant was used, whether it was the flower versus the leaf versus the stem. You don't know if the plant was grown at the right temperature in the right growing conditions. So it makes a big difference if a plant has grown in the shade versus the sun, whether it's been grown at altitude versus not. All of these do make a difference. You don't know that when the product was then harvested itself, whether it was transported at the right temperature. You don't also then know what kind of a solvent processes or extraction methods they used to then extract the bits of the plant that you need. So I guess the difference with natural is it's not that it's safer or better, but what you don't know is whether the quality variation and the quality control is exactly the same. And that's something to think about. It's something to think about, but surely it's always better to use something natural versus something chemical. Do you... No. So okay. I think this is also, it's a bit of a myth, actually. I think it's a personal choice. Okay. Um, one thing I'd say about chemicals and skincare in general is a lot of what it comes down to is the dose of the chemical making the poison. So even water at high doses is poisonous to the body, but it's still a chemical and we don't think of it in the same way. So exactly the same way that we have chemicals in our skincare, at low concentrations, they're probably absolutely fine. So preservatives in skincare, formaldehyde is a chemical that's often used as a preservative to stop the growth of bacteria and viruses in our skincare products. But you can find formaldehyde in low concentrations in an apple. You wouldn't not eat an apple. It's just the fact the concentration is so low, it's not going to cause you any harm. And I, it's the same with skincare. I am already hearing all of the comments from people being like, 
differing opinions. You yeah. Know? Because skincare is kind of like health in that way. And when you start talking about health, yeah. there are so many opinions on it. So yeah. if you're listening, I would love to hear your feedback on all of this stuff. I think we have a couple more questions. Yeah. So this one is from Scarlett and she says, any tips for reducing keratosis pilaris? I hope I'm saying that right. That's right. Um, she says, I have it all over my arms and legs and it makes me feel really self-conscious to the point where I always have to cover myself up. And I've tried gently exfoliating and moisturizing, but nothing really seems to help. So what is keratosis pilaris? So keratosis pilaris is actually quite a common skin condition. Um, and it's seen more commonly in people that have got things like asthma, eczema, and hay fever. And what ends up happening is you get these sort of like dry, spotty patches on the outsides of your arms and often on the tops of your legs as well. And unfortunately, it's something that can be really difficult to treat. There's like no magic cure for it or no cream that you can put on that's going to permanently get rid of it. So things that you can try, so exfoliating agents like lactic acid or glycolic acid can be helpful. Um, again, don't work for this brand, but I find there's a brand called Ameliorate and their products tend to be quite good. And then there are prescription treatments, so prescription retinoids and prescription-based products that contain things like urea that can also be helpful. So I think if you've tried lots of exfoliating agents like lactic acid or glycolic acid or other alpha-hydroxy acids, it might be worthwhile having a chat with a dermatologist who may be able to give you something on prescription. Okay. And we are going to go back to the natural conversation. So Amanda says, I know that many brands claim to be natural and have no harmful ingredients, but even with a quick search, she says that she can find things that say this product contains ingredients that are known to cause cancer. I mean, I've never come across that. Um, but is that something you can comment on? It, It absolutely is. I mean, I think that this is the thing. I think we've, we've got to a point now where we're so worried about wellness and health that we've become so afraid of chemicals and I think you know if you want to choose natural skincare that's a personal choice there's no issue with that as long as the choices that you're making are based on knowledge and not fear and there's an awful lot of skincare ingredients that actually have been wrongly branded as being cancer causing and parabens are a really good example of this so parabens are something that hit the newsstands over a decade ago based on a clinical study which kind of linked them with possible breast cancer. The study was actually later discredited and there was no direct link found between parabens and breast cancer. But because the press got hold of it and it got taken absolutely to town, the mud is completely stuck. And there is still this misconception in people's minds that parabens cause cancer, even though the scientific evidence overwhelmingly suggests that's not the case. So that's one of the problems where information hits newsstands and nobody looks at the original clinical research and then it gets picked up over and over and over again and people actually then don't look at the original data. It's almost become urban myth that certain ingredients cause cancer, but actually the data suggests otherwise. There's another one in in sunscreens. That's the other place that I get asked about it a lot. And it's um, a chemical called oxybenzone. And does oxybenzone or chemical sunscreens, do they cause cancer? Well, that data comes from over 15, 20 years ago, where they fed mice huge amounts of this chemical called oxybenzone. And these mice developed the equivalent of breast cancer. They developed mammary tumors. Now, there's a couple of issues here. I mean, the first thing is we're not mice. The second thing is we don't eat our sunscreen. The third thing is even if we accidentally lit the sunscreen off our face, we would never be eating 15 times our body weight to even cause that kind of danger to ourselves. So I think the key here actually is chemicals in themselves aren't dangerous. It's the dose of the chemical 
that is potentially dangerous. Okay, so the argument I have is, isn't the skin the largest organ? Isn't this where we're absorbing all these chemicals and isn't it going into the bloodstream? Yeah, so that's, I think that's a really interesting question. And one of the things that I see a lot on the internet is your skin will absorb 60% of what you put onto it. That's not true. Your skin actually, your skin's main function is it's a barrier. It is actually there to keep good things in and bad things out. So very little of what you actually put onto the skin is absorbed and taken into your bloodstream to cause any issues. So the very top layer of your skin, the epidermis, the very top layer of your epidermis is 15 to 20 layers of dead skin cells known as your stratum corneum. Very, very few skincare products can actually penetrate through the stratum corneum, the dead cells, into the living cells then into the deeper parts like the dermis to then transfer themselves to other parts of the body. It's just scientifically, physiologically and anatomically, it doesn't happen. I mean, I have to say, it's pretty hard to argue with you when you're using so many scientific terms. <laughs> well, do you know, though, I think, like I said, the, the, the ultimate key here, though, is actually we are a barrier. Our skin is a walking barrier. It doesn't want to let things in. And the biggest challenge that cosmetic scientists have is to formulate products that can get into the skin. Okay, so this question is from Claire. Long time listener, first time caller here. Um, can you help a girl out? I find there's relatively little information online about rosacea or the types of redness people can experience on their skin. I, for one, have like localized redness on my skin, but not that aggravated acne-like rosacea that people online describe as your typical definition of rosacea. Can you just let me know where people like me who have redness, what can we do to treat it and where do we start? I know it has something to do with my skin's barrier strength or something, but I just don't know. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So rosacea is a very common skin problem. It tends to affect women more than men, um, and it normally develops in very fair-skinned women. They're normally the kind of main group that you tend to see it in, and normally starts from kind of like your late 20s onwards. And what you tend to get with it is sensitive skin, sometimes a tendency towards a bit of dryness and a bit of scaling. The skin itself can look like having spots, which are quite similar to acne. You can get redness, and you can get flushing, so you suddenly become really bright red, at the drop of a hat, and that could be in relation to food, that can be in relation to alcohol, and also temperature, so going from a hot room to a cold room. And it's basically because the blood vessels in the skin are much more reactive than they should be. They're getting bigger and smaller at the drop of a hat, and that's why the skin ends up being quite as sensitive as it is. And treating it can be quite tricky as well. Um, again, there's no magic cure for it. Rosacea is a condition that once you've got it, you're always going to have it. So we can control it, but we can't cure it permanently. And in terms of treatments, when you try and look at rosacea treatments, you're looking at multiple ways that you're trying to control the different facets that you see. So if the main issue is redness, then treatment for that would be with a light device like IPL, intense pulse light, or with a laser like pulse dye laser. If the issue is spots, then we tend to use prescription tablets. So things like tetracycline antibiotics or Accutane can be really helpful. If the problem is sensitivity and, you know, very sensitive skin, you want to basically stay away from products that contain fragrances and a large number of ingredients. You want the stuff to be as bland as possible. Over 80% of people that have rosacea, their rosacea is triggered by ultraviolet light from the sun. So you have to wear an SPF 50 
every single day of the year, and that includes the winter months. That is the single biggest thing that you can do from a skincare point of view to prevent the rosacea getting worse over time. So really, you know, there's lots of different ways that you can treat it. And a lot of it essentially comes down to what the main issue is, whether it's redness, whether it's spots, whether it's sensitivity or whether it's flushing. So I think if there's any doubt worthwhile speaking to a doctor or a derm about it. Okay, so I have one thing that I do kind of want to bring up. So you said tetracycline, which is an antibiotic. Yep. I actually was on it when I was a teenager. Yeah. And I recently went to see a nutritionist. Yep. And one of the questions she said was, have you ever had tetracycline? Yeah. Because it can be such a strong antibiotic on your gut. Sure. So this is a, a common concern. And one of the things I would say about the tetracycline antibiotics that we use for rosacea. So I use something called doxycycline um, and I use it in low dose. And what's interesting about the tetracycline antibiotics is at high dose, they have an antibacterial or an antibiotic effect. But at low dose, they have an anti-inflammatory effect. So in rosacea, you're using it for its anti-inflammatory reasons. So you're using it at a much lower dose than you would use it other conditions. So I think that's a much more gentle on your gut. Mm -hmm. In response to the second part of your question about tetracyclines and the effect on the gut, well, I don't think you should be on antibiotics for prolonged periods of time. I don't think there's an issue being on them for about three months, four months, but I think any longer than that, we do need to be reassessing what we're doing. And I don't normally like prescribing for longer lengths because of issues with not just messing about with a gut microbiome but also resistance as well so then when you do need to use them they don't do what they're supposed to do right and what about things like birth control does it really help with things like acne yeah so certain pills are more skin friendly than others but the combined oral contraceptive pill so the pill that contains estrogen and progesterone can be helpful for acne but it does take time to work so if you've been put on contraception for your skin you need to give it at least two to three months to see if it's working so that brings me to my my next question from Momoko and she says I tend to get hormonal breakouts on my chin and neck area what's the best skincare for hormonal breakouts I get that as well and it sucks I hate it yeah and it, you know the worst thing about it is it actually affects most women um, as a result of their cycles and that's partly because um as women, we have lots of hormones. We have estrogen and progesterone, but we also have testosterone, the male hormone. And testosterone, the male hormone, is what drives acne. And just before our period is due, our levels of estrogen and progesterone drop, and they completely plummet, but our levels of testosterone stay the same throughout the month, relatively speaking. So what happens just before your period is due is that, relatively speaking, your levels of testosterone are much higher than the levels of your female hormones. And that's what causes people to break out in the run-up to basically their cycles. So in terms of what you can do, um, what I would say is that a lot of people find that their skin can be slightly more oily from ovulation onwards, so in the second half of their cycle, so from day 14 to day 28. And that might be the time where really you are taking extra care using your alpha and your beta hydroxy acids in your skincare to make sure that you're decongesting your skin, you're getting rid of any blackheads. And also, as soon as you feel the hint of any spots coming up, it's worthwhile using something like a 2% salicylic acid product directly onto the spots to shrink them down. If that doesn't help, then it might be worthwhile going to see your GP and they'll be able to give you a prescription retinoid or benzoyl peroxide that you can put directly onto the spots. So basically, you target them as soon as they come up. Okay, and this is a completely unrelated question and topic, but I've been obsessed with probiotics recently. Yeah. What do you think about probiotics and probiotic skincare? Okay, so with probiotic skincare, 
the scientific evidence is really, really poor. Okay. And the reason for it is this. Probiotics are live bacteria. Yes. You cannot have live bacteria in your skincare. Right. Um, just legally, you can't have that. Okay. Um, if you were to put live bacteria in your skincare, you can't be rubbing live bacteria onto your scalp, your eyes, or your skin. You're at risk of putting yourself at infection for all of those areas. So what ends up happening is in probiotic skincare, what they do is they use a probiotic bacteria, something like lactobacillus, for example. And what they do is they mush up the lactobacillus and what they do then is they put up the mushed up dead lactobacillus into your skincare. The problem is that there isn't any scientific evidence that shows that dead probiotic bacteria has got any positive benefits on your skin. Oh my goodness, guys. So are all my probiotic dreams crushed right now? <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, what I would say, I mean, in, fact, in fact, the second issue with probiotics, actually, I should probably mention is the second thing is all the bacteria that we use is coming from our knowledge of the gut microbiome. So all the bacteria that naturally live in your gut. But what we're realizing over the years is that our skin also has a microbiome and our skin also naturally has bacteria that live on our surface. But the skin microbiome, isn't the same as the gut microbiome, but the skincare industry uses gut microbiome bacteria for your skin. Okay. That's a problem because they're not the bacteria that naturally live on your skin. Right. Okay. So that's the second issue with probiotics. So it's, it's a little bit of a scam at this stage. Okay. Well, back to the drawing board. I actually know somebody who has a probiotic skincare brand and I kind of want to get her on here to hear her side of the story. Oh my gosh. I couldn't imagine putting you two in a room. Oh, I wonder actually. So I actually did a panel um, a while ago yeah. with somebody that owned Was a pro- Galanay. Yeah. She's so lovely and she's so intelligent. <laughs> yes, she's, she she's, she's fantastic. <laughs> but it was, it was very interesting actually, because yeah. obviously, you know, we were both discussing our viewpoints because right. this question came up. And what we both agree on is, look, the science is is there and it's developing and it's emerging. What I'm not convinced about from my point of view is that we have the science as yet to actually make skincare out of it. Okay. So I'm not saying that there won't be a role for probiotic skincare when the science has emerged and evolved enough. But I think that most of the products that we have on the market at the moment we need to be slightly questioning and skeptical of. Fine. And my last question before we get onto the fun stuff is, can stress really affect your skin? Yes, absolutely. So if you have got a chronic inflammatory skin condition, so if you've got something like eczema or psoriasis or rosacea or you're prone to acne, whilst they won't be the cause of your skin condition, if you've already got a predisposition to them and then you're really stressed out, it can make all of those skin conditions worse. And we definitely see that. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so since this podcast is called On The Line, I need to ask you a couple questions. I'm always so interested to find out who are the top three people that you follow on Instagram. If you could only follow three people on Instagram, who would you love to follow? Okay, so the people that I kind of really enjoy following are the people that I feel like I actually learn a lot from and take away a lot from. So I love Laura Thomas, um, and she is a dietitian talks a lot about eating disorders intuitive eating and body image and I find her her stuff is really fascinating second one is Nadia Craddock and she is a body image researcher Um, and the reason I find all this stuff interesting is because from my point of view it's interesting because I do cosmetic dermatology and I do procedures like Botox and fillers but I'm also very very aware of not basically trying to create a problem for women and then offering the solution to it. I really believe that also we should be kind of empowering women to 
feel comfortable about who they are and not feel like they need to change every aspect of themselves. So I find their approaches to body image, they make me think about the way that I practice and I feel like I learn a lot from that. And then who would my third be that I really enjoy following? I mean, definitely those two. It's run, It's interesting. I think a lot of it is body image related. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rooted Project, they're my third favorite because they do a lot of diet chat. Skin and nutrition are two areas that are full of misinformation on the internet. And I feel like the Rooted Project give a really balanced view about nutrition. So I'd say, yeah, in fact, probably those three I learn a lot from. It's interesting that you like those nutrition accounts because earlier you said that diet plays a small part in skincare. Yeah, but I think what we are kind of realizing is that diet has got an important part to play in your general health. So from my point of view, there is no diet that is good for your skin health. A diet that is good for your general health is good for your skin and it's good for your eyes and it's good for all the other organs in your body. But there is always a tendency to kind of want to be a polarized view of if I go paleo or if I go vegan or if I go gluten free, maybe that will be the kind of diet panacea. And that's not really the case. Okay. So I like their account because I find it's educational for me because I get asked a lot about skin and nutrition. Yeah. And I know where I stand from it from a dermatology point of view, but I think one of the most important things as any kind of specialist is actually to collaborate with others and to get expert advice from the experts. And I would say that these guys are experts in body image and they're experts in nutrition. Yeah, that is one thing I love about you and I loved from um, meeting you on that panel originally was that you are very open-minded to learning more about other people's points of view. And you have a really strong point of view, but I don't think you're close-minded to anything. And I think that's really important about science, actually. You know, I think if you are so set in your own viewpoint that you're not open to others, that's your own bias then that you've got that you're actually maybe potentially disregarding things that there may actually be value in and it's really important that I don't do that and I do reflect and I do question and that's why I think listening to those viewpoints is really important because it's challenging and it makes me go away and actually look it up and read it myself to decide is there something in that is there a little bit in that Or is there nothing in that? Fine. Okay. And the last question is, you can only save three apps on your phone. What apps do you like to use? Oh, gosh. Instagram. (laughs) That would clearly be number one. Um, Oh, what apps do I use a lot? To be honest, it's probably my social media apps. Instagram, Twitter. And then actually it would have to probably be my my work email account (laughs) app as well because I'm constantly answering emails on the go, on the tube, wherever I get an opportunity. Honestly, same. If I was asked that question, it would be exactly the same. It's like Instagram, Twitter, and emails. How boring. Yep. Um, And I just want to talk about your book really quickly. Mm. So it's called The Skincare Bible, right? That's right. And do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's... um, a book that came out about six months ago, actually, and it's it's not a medical textbook at all. It's very much about all the common stuff that I get asked about yeah. in my clinics, like hormonal acne, like what skincare should I be using? Yeah. It's all of that basically put into a book. Um, and I, I hope that it's written in a way that I would be speaking like I speak to you or the way that I speak in clinic. So it's kind of like user-friendly and just common stuff people want to know about their skin. It is. It's a really great book. It has a super cute pink cover. It does. And it's really easy to read and digest. And I think that if you have a lot of skincare questions, that would be a great place to start because you answer so many questions in that book. Um, But thank you so much for being here on my show. I feel like I learned a lot and I loved hearing a more scientific viewpoint. I do want to get a more, you know, homeopathic person on here and see what they have to say. Absolutely. 
Um, I would be really interested in that. But thank you so much. And where can people follow you? So it's um, at Anjali Marto on Instagram and at Dr. Anjali Marto on Twitter. Amazing. Thank you again. And to everybody listening, I'm so sorry if we didn't get to answer your question. As I said, we had tons and tons of them, but we do make sure to read every single one that comes in. So thank you for listening to another episode of On The Line. And if you want to have one of your questions answered on the next episode, just send an email or an audio message to youronthelinea at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. Hello? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.